I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. You know, I always enjoy our time together. Over the past week, I was thinking that, as far as I can tell, most of our listeners are perhaps not yet what you might call professional investors uh, when it comes to commercial property. So if they're anything like me, they, they more or less cringe at the thought of having to prepare a finance proposal. Could you explain how to make the process a little less foreboding? Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. And um, it can be a pretty scary process. But there's probably five or six key factors that can help to make your loan application process a lot less difficult and give you a lot more confidence in the process of making that submission to obtain your finance. And the first one is, and it's probably worth our listeners noting these down because it's effectively a checklist that you can use yourself and particularly when you're starting out after you have done it a few times it probably comes becomes intuitive but nonetheless it's probably a good idea to note them down and follow them as a checklist. The first one is to provide an economically sound basis for the loan. In other words It has to make sense logically to the financier. The second one is to actually make sure that you are choosing the right lender for your property, the type of property. Now, of course, banks cover most of them, but there are specialist lenders that some prefer commercial property, some prefer even within the commercial sector, industrial rather than office or retail. So it's important that you understand who lends what for which property. The third one is that you need to build some sort of rapport with your chosen lender and that sometimes will take time but it's important so that you don't come in as a cold prospect as far as they're concerned. The fourth one is to make sure that you research and adopt their format for submission and the procedures that they require so that you're giving them what they want instead of them having to adjust and probably in the process misconstrue some of the information that you provide. The fifth one would be to know exactly how much you need to borrow and that's important. You're very clear on that and some people have a vague as much as you will lend us. That's not the way to go. You have a clear vision. And probably the last one would be to provide a positive but honest finance proposal. In other words, no embellishments along the way. And so if you follow those... Now, the interesting thing is that the second, third and fourth one, that's choosing the right lender, building the rapport and adopting their format and procedures, is, in my view, best handled by a finance broker because they have already built the rapport. They know which lender and they know the basis or the format that is required. For you as an individual investor, it can take time to develop that. And quite often you don't have the time and you don't want to have to start out fresh every time if you're changing lenders. So 
that's one of the real advantages and why I personally prefer to use a finance broker because they know their way around the industry. They know who has the special deals on at a particular time and they know who would be the best lender for the type of property that you want to borrow. Even though you might use a finance broker, which I agree is vital for commercial property, won't you still need to put together some type of formal submission? Therefore, what are some of the key elements of your finance proposal? The aim of your proposal for finance is to convince your lender that the property you will use as collateral for the loan is indeed a good proposition. And so it's important that the cover for what you're submitting uses the words proposal for finance with the address of the property underneath. Now, you've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, a good picture will achieve in one second what a thousand words cannot even achieve or convey in an hour. So that because the picture is so powerful, what you need to do is make sure that it presents the property in the best possible light. Now, below that photo or that picture, all you need to do is place a simple table of contents so that your lender can go to a particular section that he or she wants to review. And the items to be listed here will become obvious as we go through the rest of this podcast. The next page will be the actual body of the proposal. And it's important to understand there are two aspects to that, the length of the section in the psychological or, or psychology as to what needs to be included and how it's written. Now, I remember early on in my career, it was in, it made clear to me that if you can't summarise a proposal in one page, either it's too complicated or it's not worth proceeding with. So what you need to do <coughs> is to bring everything down to a single-page document. And that way, the lender can scan the entire contents without having to go off the page. All they've got to do is just go straight down and they don't have to wade through pages and pages. And therefore, it's important to keep the, the real nub or body of your proposal for finance down to a single page, even with properties costing millions of dollars. Just bring it down to that single, single page. Now, even on that single page, the most important paragraph is the summary. So in this draft one that I'll, I'll give you, let me just read that summary. A mortgage of $395,500 is offered on a fully leased strata title office representing 70% of the registered valuation of $565,000. The current rental of $44,635 per annum represents a net yield of 7.9%. Now, the first thing you're thinking is, did I actually say a mortgage is offered? I mean, surely you're applying for a mortgage, you should say something like a mortgage is requested or a mortgage is sought. You see, most investors, even experienced ones, still confuse the difference between a mortgagee and a mortgagor. And it's a bit like a lessor and a lessee. And you see, you're tempted to think that because you're applying 
to get a mortgage from a lender, that that lender must be the mortgagor and you must be the mortgagee, but that's not the case. You see, generally when you're buying property, you don't have all the funds you need to complete the deal. And on the other side, the banks have the money but don't really want to buy the property. And that's probably good for you because they're not going to compete with you. But what you're effectively saying is that if if you give me the money I need to, to purchase this property, in return, I'll give you a pledge that I will faithfully pay the interest every month and furthermore, I'll repay the principal at the end of the loan. Now, that pledge is called a mortgage. And that's why you, the investor, are the mortgagor and the bank, as the recipient of the pledge, is the mortgagee. So you're giving the bank a mortgage in return for the cash. And that's why it's so important to, to not to start your finance proposal with the words, a mortgage is requested, because in fact, you're not asking for anything. Rather, you're offering the bank something. You see, applying for funds from a lender involves an exchange, money in return for the pledge. And so why focus on the money instead of offering the pledge? Now, of course, your lender will want to know what's in it for them. So in other words, how certain can they be that the interest will be paid? How much rental income to cover the mortgage? And so let's just quickly review that paragraph once again. So what you're doing is you're saying you want to buy a property for $565,000 for which you have a rent a, a valuation or appraisal at that figure. The rental income is $44,635 per annum. That shows a return of 7.9%. The property is fully leased and your loan to purchase price ratio is 70%. And so within the first 10 seconds of reading your proposal, your lender knows exactly why you are there and all the relevant numbers to the transaction. Now, the next segment or section on that page is a general description of the property. Now, you could just put general description, but it begs the question of what? And you could put general description of the property. But what you really need to put is the general description of the property offered as collateral. Because what you're really doing is reminding the lender that the very asset you're buying with the bank's funds is what's being lodged as security for those funds. And you're offering him the property as collateral for the loan. So not only are you offering him a mortgage, but you're also offering him collateral for the loan. Now, what's important is that as you go through that general description, you've got to be honest, but you'll see there I've put the property is strategically located. It's on a busy thoroughfare. Now, I mean, you could just say it's on a, a main road, etc. Now, you're starting to involve the lender and explaining how it is to their benefit. The property is situated with an established office precinct, so it's not in some backwater location or out by itself where there's no supporting building types. And the tenant has been successfully running its business for the past 15 years. Again, that's good to know. But also you include the things like 
there's a six-month bank guarantee for added security. And then you include there a copy of the current lease has been included in the appendix, and that runs for a further four years. Now, I can tell you from my experience that the lenders won't even bother reading the lease, but you provide that in the appendix in good faith, and so there's absolute transparency. So again, they, they have the confidence in knowing that it's a well-located property, it's the tenant's secure, and you can move forward from there. I like the way you distill everything down into one page and even then have an, an introductory summary paragraph. Apart from that and the general description of the property offered as security, what else should go into this one-page overview? Well, the next section in the uh, one-page summary is the property portfolio summary and cash flows. And I'll just read the suggested wording there. The property offered as collateral will form part of an overall portfolio with a valuation excluding the Glen Waverley property of X dollars. Full details of the existing portfolio can be found in the appendix. From this, you can see that the average remaining lease length is 4.8 years, and there is a comfortable debt servicing ratio of 2.7. Now, hopefully you're, you're starting to see how powerful this short paragraph like this can be. You see, we're repeating the fact that the property is being offered for collateral and we're showing it's a healthy portfolio. Now, if this is a mortgage for your first property, then rather than point out the existing portfolio as zero, just leave out this section and talk about the budgeted cash flow for your property that you're buying. Now, you see, the certainty of being able to make the mortgage payments is largely largely dependent on the length of your leases and the quality of your tenants, which you've already covered. And that's what the bankers like to see, along with the average remaining length of the tenancies, and that's all your tenancies, or if it's just the one property, how long that is. Now, likewise, your debt servicing ratio refers to the ratio of rent income being collected and the payments that must be made. So if you're collecting $2.70 for every dollar of the mortgage commitment each month, well, that puts your lender's mind at ease. So then you move on to the final part of this one-page summary, and that's called your Statement of Assets and Liability. And some people get bent out of shape over this and say, you know, what right is the lender to know what my assets and liabilities, you know, I'm not going to provide those. Well, really, they've got every right because you're asking them to lend you the money. So the best way for them to determine your means and whether you're capable of meeting the commitments is to look at your track record. And that's generally the scorecard for that is your assets and liabilities. And once again, you know, just the single sentence with a reference to the appendix is probably the most powerful, and I'll just read that, that included in the appendix is a statement of assets and liabilities which shows the total assets to be X dollars and total liabilities to be Y dollars, leaving a surplus of assets over liabilities 
of Z dollars. So there you've got it. It's it, that's your whole one-page document that summarises all the information that a lender will want to see in order to determine whether or not to lend you the money for the property you want to purchase. You've mentioned an appendix a couple of times. Exactly what would you include there? The actual amount of information you include in the appendix will depend on the size and nature of the property. Now, for a small commercial premises like this one, an office suite, on a standard lease, the page or pages of the lease that spell out the commercial terms like the lease length, the rent, the rent reviews, etc., will probably be sufficient. Whereas for larger properties, you'll want to include copies of all the leases in their entirety with assignments and, and so forth. So, you see, you make the proposal for finance suit the property that you're funding, but you still stick to this one-page summary and it's the appendix or appendices that include the additional documents. And as I said, you've got to remember that in most cases, if there's a proper valuation and the summary looks sound, the lenders generally don't look much past that first page. So as far as the appendices, you've got your existing portfolio summary, your current cash flows, your statement of assets and liabilities, you'll include a valuation report that you've got. And and remember, that's important. We've talked about steps three and six in the nine-step formula, that it's important that you control the valuation. So you have that valuation in soft form. And then the final thing you include, the projected after-tax cash flows. Now, that's the, the printout of those two pages that you get by using the final judgment software. And your lender may or may not agree with your assumptions, which are spelt out in the first page of that two-page summary. But at the very least, they'll agree that based on your assumptions, that you have a good deal that you've secured under contract. Now, more often than not, he or she will agree with your assumptions. And you see... The reason is because you have made very reasonable assumptions so that you're not kidding yourself as to how good the property is. And therefore, when you make your presentation to the uh, financier, he then has, this again, a a short two-page summary of that projected after-tax cash flow, which simply goes to reconfirm everything that you have set out in your earlier one-page summary of the whole deal. So it's important that you understand that, that, that you are the one now in control and there will be no more cap-in-hand subservience or you won't get any of those last-minute changes to the rules and surprises that bankers can thrust upon you because you're now the one that will end up with a loan you want on the terms you expect because you are the one that has taken control of it and you are able then, and particularly if you go through a finance broker, to convey the impression that you are doing that lender a favour by letting them advance the mortgage to you. So hopefully that's helped tie everything together. 
felt that's all good stuff. And I'm feeling a lot more relaxed already, as I'm sure our listeners are too. So thanks, Chris, for walking us through that process in some detail. And again, it was my pleasure. <laughs>